When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. So after last week, when I read the story of how Cuchulain got his name, it seemed better to, uh, instead of going into the story of the Tain Bull Cunha proper of the actual war, it seemed better to go back to the beginning of the war to see how it started, because it is only when the war begins that Cuchulain shows up at all. And going back to the beginning of the war means introducing one of the great women in Celtic mythology, and I guess one of the great women in, uh, in world literature at all, and that is uh, Queen Maeve of Connaught. And uh, there's also mentioned, at least in this version, uh, her husband's name is Alyil, but as we'll see, uh, she gets the better of him every time. Uh, Queen Maeve is on center stage here. Uh, according to James McKillop in his Dictionary of Celtic Mythology, Queen Maeve is the uh, the warrior queen of Connaught, the leading figure in the Ulster Cycle, and the most vibrant female personality in all of Celtic mythology. Like a Gaulish mother goddess, Maeve is often portrayed with creatures, a bird and a squirrel on her shoulder. And by literary convention, she is pale, long-faced, with long flowing hair, wearing a red cloak and carrying a spear, that may be flaming. Maeve dominates men, both by the force of her personality and by her sexuality. She is always governed by her own will. And in the Tain Bokulnia, as we'll see, she demonstrates more conviction than her husband in the text, Alyil Mekmakta, and both leads the Kanakt forces and provokes the central action of the narrative. You see there it says, the husband of the text. Alyil is apparently not her husband all the time in all the stories. Uh, McKillop goes on to say that Maeve's allure is ageless. She appears to be a beautiful young woman, regardless of the chronology. And called Maeve of the Friendly Thighs by translators, she claimed that it took 32 men to satisfy her sexually. She boasted of having any lover she wished, each man in another man's shadow. Many men are named as her, quote, husbands, but Fergus Fergus Megroch was her favorite lover. I'll just be reading from one episode, a famous episode, from the Tain Bokunya here, but you'll get a sense of what this personality is. I'm not aware of a scene like this, certainly not in Celtic mythology, nothing like this in... uh, 
Norse or related mythology that I can think of, uh, if there were such a scene as this, it would have to be between Odin and his wife, and there's nothing nearly as intimate or uh, there's no scene that uh, couples today could possibly latch onto uh, between Odin and his wife, as there is the scene I'm about to read between Maeve and Eilil. Uh, one other thing just struck me, and I could be completely wrong here, but since there are so few uh, other women characters like this, at, le at least mortal women characters, there is a goddess later on in the Tainbokul Nyahu uh, confronts Kohalan. Uh, since there are so few other mortal women of this strong character in the stories, I almost wonder if Maeve is sort of uh, uh, is sort of to Celtic myth and to these stories what the Virgin Mary is in Christianity, where um, where it seems the whole point of a, a lot of uh, Christianity early on was to have a male god, and have a male son, and have a uh, and have a son without the need of um, sexuality at all. And so, when you come to the Middle Ages, and suddenly, uh, medieval Catholics need uh, some sort of a woman, a female presence to venerate. Suddenly, the Virgin Mary uh, takes on that role and sort of vacuums up. All of the uh, all of the female affection that people could take on. There are, of course, female saints all over the place, but uh, uh, it's worth reminding ourselves that Notre Dame everywhere is named after Mary and not female saints. And I wonder if Maeve is something like that. She is sort of a collection at some point of of many uh, female heroines that maybe didn't make it down to us in the stories. That's just uh, basic speculation there. I have no idea if that is true, but that's a nice idea. Connecting the Virgin Mary to uh, Ileal, or uh, connecting uh, the Virgin Mary to Maeve of the Friendly Thighs. That seems to be a fun thing to do. Uh, the episode I want to read from tonight, again, it comes from Thomas Kinsella's translation of the Tainvulkulnia. And it is the famous scene called the Pillow Talk, where Ailil and Maeve are lying in bed one night together. And this is how it goes. Once, when the royal bed was laid out for Ailil and Maeve and Kruachin Fort and Connacht, they had this talk on the pillows. It is true what they say, love, Ailil said. It is well for the wife of a wealthy man. True enough, the woman said. What put that in your mind? Well, it struck me, Olil said. How much better are you, how much better off you are today than the day I married you? And Maeve says, I was well enough off without you. And Olil says, then your wealth was something I didn't know or hear much about except for your woman's things, and the neighboring enemies making off with loot and plunder. And Maeve says, not at all, but with the high king of Ireland for my father, Eokid Fadelech the Steadfast, the son of Finn, the son of Finnaman, the son of Finnen, the son of Fingol, the son of Roth, 
the son of Rigion, the son of Blachat, the son of Beochat, the son of Enna Agnech, the son of Angus Torbech. He had six daughters, Debriu, Ethne, Ele, Clothru, Muguin, and myself Maeve, the highest and haughtiest of them. I outdid them in grace and giving and battle and warlike combat. I had fifteen hundred soldiers in my royal pay, all exiles sons, and the same number of freeborn native men, and for every paid soldier I had ten more men, and nine more and eight and seven and six and five and four and three and two and one, and that was only our ordinary household. And she continues on to say, My father gave me the whole province of Ireland. This province ruled from Cruachan, which is why I am called Maeve of Cruachan. And they came from Finn the king of Leinster, Rus Ruat son Tuumi, and from Corpre Neafer the king of Temer, another of Rus Ruad's sons. They came from Chankavar, king of Ulster, son of Achna. They came, they came from Eochedbech, and I wouldn't go, for I asked a harder wedding gift than any woman ever asked before a man in Ireland, the absence of meanness and jealousy and fear. And she continues on. If I married a mean man, our union would be wrong, because I'm so full of grace and giving. It would be an insult if I were more generous than my husband, but not if the two of us were equal in this. If my husband was a timid man, our union would be just as wrong, because I thrive myself on all kinds of trouble. It is an insult for a wife to be more spirited than her husband, but not if the two are equally spirited. If I married a jealous man, that would be wrong too. I never had one man without another waiting in his shadow. So I got the kind of man I wanted, Rus Ruad's other son, yourself, Olil, from Leinster. You aren't greedy or jealous or sluggish. When we were promised, I brought you the best wedding gift a bride can bring, apparel enough for a dozen men, a chariot worth thrice seven bondmaids, the width of your face of red gold and the weight of your left arm of light gold. So. If anyone causes you shame or upset or trouble, the right to compensation is mine, Maeve said, for you are a kept man. By no means, Oliel said, but with two kings for my brothers, Corpre and Tamer and Finn over Leinster. I let them rule because they are older, not because they are better than I am in grace or giving. I never heard in all Ireland of a province run by a woman, except this one, which is why I came and took the kingship here, in succession to my mother, Mata Marisk, Magach's daughter. Who better for my queen than you, a daughter of the High King of Ireland? And Maeve says, it still remains that my fortune is greater than yours. And Oliel says, you amaze me. No one has more property or jewels or precious things than I have, and I know it. And here we go. We go from a pillow talk to this. Then the lowliest of their possessions were brought out to see who had more property and jewels and precious things. Their buckets and tubs and iron pots, jugs and wash pails and vessels with handles, 
Then their finger rings, bracelets, thumb rings, and gold treasures were brought out, and their cloth of purple, blue, black, green, and yellow, plain gray and many-colored, yellow-brown, checked and striped. Their herds of sheep were taken in off the fields and meadows and plains. They were measured and matched and found to be in the same numbers and size. Even the great ram leading Maeve's sheep, the worth of one bond made by himself, had a ram to match him leading all eels' sheep. From pasture and paddock their teams and herds of horses were brought in. And here we see where real wealth lies in the animals. For the finest stallion in Maeve's stud, worth one bond made by himself, Ailil had a stallion to match. Their vast herds of pigs were taken in from the woods and gullies and waste places. They were measured and matched and noted, and Maeve had one fine boar, but Ailil had another. Then their droves and free-wandering herds of cattle were brought in from the woods and wastes of the province. These were matched and measured and noted also, and found to be the same in number and size. But there was one great bull in all Yil's herd that had been a calf of Maeve's cows. Finnenbach was his name, the white-horned. And Finnenbach, refusing to be led by a woman, had gone over to the king's herd. Maeve couldn't find in her herd the equal of this one bull, and her spirits dropped as though she hadn't a single penny. It was wonderfully done, that entire catalog there, as though she hadn't a single penny. Maeve had the messenger Macroth called, and she told him to see where the match of the bull might be found in any province in Ireland. I know where to find such a bull, and better, Macroth said. It is in the province of Ulster, and the territory of Culnia, in Dermac Fiachna's house. Don Culnia is the bull's name, the brown bull of Culnia. Go there, Macroth, Maeve said. Ask the heir to lend me Don Culnia for a year. At the end of a year he can have fifty yearling heifers in payment for the loan, and the brown bull of Culnia back. And you can offer him this too, Macroth. If the people of the country think badly of losing their fine jewel, the Don Cunha, if the heir himself comes with the bull, I give him a portion of the fine plain of I, equal to his own lands, and a chariot worth thrice seven bondmaids, and my own friendly thighs on top of that. Messengers set out to the heir Macfiachna's house. There were nine of them with Macroth. Macroth was soon made welcome into Eyre's house, as befitted Ireland's chief messenger. De Eyre asked him what brought him on his journey, and the chief messenger told him why he came, and about the squabble between Maeve and Olil. So, I am here to ask for the loan of Don Cunha to match against Finnenbach. Finnbenach, sorry. And you'll get... Fifty yearling heifers back in payment for the loan, with Don Cunha himself and more besides. If you come with the bull yourself, you'll get a portion of the fine plain of I equal to your own lands, and a chariot worth thrice seven bondmaids, and Maeve's friendly thighs on top of it all. The heir was delighted, and jumped for joy till the seams of his cushions burst under him, and he cried, True is my soul. I don't care what the Ulstermen think. 
I'll take my treasure, the Don Kulnia, to Oliel and Maeve and the land of Connacht. Macroth was pleased at Mac at Macfiachna's decision. Then they were looked after, and rushes and fresh straw were settled under them. They were given the best of good food and kept supplied with the festive fare until they grew drunk and noisy. And here we have the uh, the idea of uh, political negotiations first on behalf of the leaders and then the uh, the underlings get drunk and talk about it and ruin the whole thing. Two of the messengers were talking and one of them said, there's no doubt the man of the house here is a good man. A good man, certainly, the other said. And the first one said, is there a better man in Ulster? And the second one said, there is, certainly. His leader, Conkavar, is a better man. If the whole of Ulster gave in to him, it would be no shame for them. Anyway, it was good of him to give us the Don Colnia. It would have taken four strong provinces of Ireland to carry it off from Ulster otherwise. And now a third voice, a third messenger comes in. What are you arguing about, he said. The messenger here said, the man of the house here is a good man. A good man, certainly, the other said. Is there a better man in Ulster, the first messenger said. There is certainly, the second messenger said. His leader, Kongavar, is a better man. If the whole of Ulster gave in to him, it would be no shame for them. But it was good of him to give us what the four strong provinces of Ireland would be needed to take from Ulster. And now the third messenger says, I'd as soon see the mouth that said that spout blood. We would have taken it anyway, with or without his leave. At that moment, the man in charge of Deir Machfiachna's household came into the hut, with a man carrying a drink and another man with food, and heard what they were saying. He was seized with fury, and put down their food and drink, saying, Neither eat nor don't eat. He went back straight to Deir Machfiachna's hut and said, Did you give our famous treasure, the Don Kulnia, to Maeve's messengers? Yes, I did, Deir said. That was not a kingly thing to do. What they said is true. If you hadn't given up freely the hosts of Oliel and Maeve, and the cunning Fergus MacRoch would have taken him without your leave, without your permission. By the gods I worship, Deir says, nothing leaves here unless I choose to let it. And they waited until next morning. The messengers got up early the next day and went to Deir's hut. Tell us, sir, where to find the Don Kulnia. I will not, Deir said, and only it isn't my habit to murder messengers or travelers or any other wayfarers. Not one of you would leave here alive. Why is this? Macroth said. For a good reason, Deir said. You said, if I didn't give willingly, the hosts of Oliel and Maeve and Fergus's cunning would make me give. Indeed, Macroth said, what messengers say into your food and drink hardly deserves your notice. You can imagine if, uh, if Deir was looking at Twitter at the time. Uh, he would have even more to be mad about. Um, what messengers say into your food and drink hardly deserve your notice. You can't blame Oliel and Maeve. Still, 
I won't give up my bowl this time, Macroth, as long as I can help it. So the messenger set off again and came to Hruchin, the stronghold of Kanat. Maeve asked them for the news, and Macroth and Deir wouldn't give up, and Macroth said Deir would not give up his bowl. Why not, Maeve said, and Macroth told what happened. And here it is, uh, of course, it is Maeve and not Olyil who responds. She says, We needn't polish the knobs and knots in this, Macroth. It was well known it would be taken by force if it wasn't given freely, and taken it will be. So that's the end of that little story. And next week, I will read from uh, one of the wonderful passages from after Kuhalan enters the battle, and uh, there's a long stretch where he is made to fight one of his close friends in the battle, and that's a wonderful scene as well. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.